following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter uh, 7, please. John, are we online? All right, very good. We are, we are here. I have to uh, silence this, uh, this distractor device here which is called a cell phone by other terms, or a electronic tether, as some of you might have known. I've said that before. Um, John, or rather, Matthew chapter 7. We're at the very end of the chapter this evening. If you would turn there, I want to uh, share with you the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. The conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount starts in verse number 24, where it talks about building on the rock. We are in the, the whole concluding section talks about two ways to live, uh, two types of fruit, uh, two ways to attempt to enter into the kingdom, and then also here two ways to live, hearing and doing God's word versus hearing and not doing God's word. And so we read starting in verse number 24, verse number 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and, its, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. Think of using that as a conclusion for a sermon and just stopping. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now this is a very well-known portion of scripture, but perhaps some parts of it are misunderstood. Let me give you one. For example, uh, what do the rains and the floods refer to? They are metaphors for what? Metaphors for what? Well, the common interpretation is that if you build your life on obedience to the Lord, then your life, this life, will be good and safe and will not be destroyed, even though you're going to face a lot of trials, you know, the floods, the rains, the wind and all of that. But the focus of this portion of Scripture overall is not just on someone's present life. It's actually on final judgment, okay? It's on the final judgment of one's life. The rain and the wind represent the judgment of God. When you build your life on Christ, it will sustand, withstand rather divine judgment with no problem just like a solidly built house will withstand the rigors of the weather. Okay? Now, I want you to note also here uh, a very helpful comment that I received, got from reading uh, France, uh, R.T. France on Matthew, that we're not talking about the 1 Corinthians 3 kind of idea of the building materials that you use. What is the focus here? Not on the building materials of the house, but on the foundation of the house. Okay, And the foundation is what? The sayings of Christ, hearing them and doing them. Okay, That's what the foundation is like. So 
your, your construction may not be perfect, but your foundation is sure. See? Now, yes, there's 1 Corinthians 3 that talks about the building materials, but those are really your ministry in the local church. Okay? And it's a different matter. So think about this. Focus on this foundation. Upon what foundation is your life built? Are you hearing the Word of God only, or are you hearing and doing what you hear? We'll have a lot more to say about that in the next few minutes tonight. The survival of the house that is judged is a picture of eternal life. Okay, it's not just this life, it's eternal life. Of course, if your life is founded on Christ, you will weather better the storms of this life, the trials, the health issues, the difficulties, and all of that. But sooner or later, one of those trials is going to come along and sweep you off your feet. You know, you're going to get cancer, you're going to have an accident, you're going to face some tragedy, and then you'll perish. But your soul will still be standing strong on Christ, will it not? Yes, because that's your foundation. So that's hearing and doing, okay? And the, the, the description of the person who does that is like a wise person. That is a wise person who does that. So what is it if you hear but you do not do? Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man, person, who built his house on the sand. Rains, floods, winds beat that house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So there are people who have been told a storm is coming. A storm of divine judgment is coming. Or maybe they haven't been told, but they've read the Bible themselves, or they know intuitively. Why? Because they know God. They know who God is. They know His divine power. They know His deity. Romans 1 says, they knew God, but did not glorify Him as God. They know they will be accountable for their sins. Such are without excuse. And when the rains, the floods, and the winds come, again, these represent the ultimate judgment of God. When those come upon them, their house will fall. Only wreckage will remain. You've probably seen wreckage, I'm guessing, on the television with uh, Hurricane Ida uh, that's come through. I, I have seen only little snatches of things very, very briefly. I mean, seconds. I haven't paid any attention to that, frankly, over the last couple of days. But I've seen plenty of hurricane uh, aftermath to know what it looks like, I'm sure. Twelve-foot storm swells or um, surges and I heard of a large boat. Have you heard of this boat on, on, uh, in the Gulf that was riding out these, this storm in 80-foot waves? And there are men on this boat who survived? Yeah, it's hard to, hard to understand. I, I, maybe, I hope that I read that properly, and it's true that, I mean, that they survived, but sadly they should have been out of there somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike is just pointing out the height to the top of the ceiling is about 20 feet. So that means from crest to trough, four times the height of our auditorium. Well, it's possible. Yeah, well, I've heard of 100-foot waves really cracking boats in half, large, large metal ships. 
In any case, that's the kind of, uh, that's an excellent illustration, actually, of the kind of wind and floods and rain that we're talking about here. That's divine judgment. That's how tremendous it is. And you say it's unsurvivable. That is true. In the case of divine judgment, it is unsurvivable if you don't have Christ with you. Totally unsurvivable. That Actually, that word is in my head because one of the fellows in uh, New Orleans area said that if you're outside of the levee protection system, this storm surge will be unsurvivable. So uh, I don't know how many have been lost or perished in that whole situation. You folks keep up on that more perhaps than I have, but only wreckage will remain in the life of the fool who builds his life on mere hearing the words of God but not doing them. The picture is of divine judgment that results in eternal condemnation. Now, I want you to notice a couple of factors in this text. The Lord Jesus says this, and we've alluded to this before, but I thought this was a good observation for us. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine, in verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine, okay? We're not talking about generic words of God or some religious sayings or words that you feel God gave me, you know. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. You have to deal with the words of Christ. Earlier in the sermon, you might remember, he said, you have heard that has been said by those of old, but I say to you, this is the one who, of whom it is said in Matthew 28, God has given to me all authority, right? I have all authority. I've received it from heaven on earth. And now I'm telling you, go and make disciples, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and so on. This is the one with all authority, and you're going to see that in verse uh, number 29 uh, at the end of the chapter. The people recognize that. Here's a guy saying, you need to obey what I'm telling you. Jesus is Lord after all, isn't he? Amen. That's right. We, we confess that by the Spirit of God. We believe that, and we follow that. You, you, know, you say, I, I hear God's word, but I don't do it. Well, then don't tell me that Jesus is Lord. You don't believe that. Oh, theoretically, you might believe that, but you don't believe that. Real belief is shown by your actions. You believe you are Lord. You yourself are the, are the potentate of your life. That's not Christianity, okay? That's, that's self-religion, not Christianity. The, that's one thing. We're talking about the words of Jesus. You can't, you can't say, well, I believe in God, but this Jesus guy is too controversial. No, it's his word. It's his word that we're talking about. Secondly, both the kinds of people in this chapter are people who listen to This is powerful. They're both the types of people who have heard the words of Christ. Okay, he doesn't say the person who is out in Timbuktu. They probably have the gospel in Timbuktu, okay? I mean, this is a bad example. But the person out in the boonies who's never heard the word of Christ, doesn't even know who Christ is. He's not talking about that person. Romans 1 talks about that person. 
He's saying, you've got a bunch of people who are hearing the word of Christ. In fact, they were there. Notice that it says, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. And there were a great multitude there gathered early on in chapter uh, end of 4 and early in 5, I think it told us that. And then there's great multitudes at the beginning of chapter 8. You have not only his disciples, but you have a whole bunch of people who have heard the words of Jesus. And there are two outcomes. There are some who have a surface connection, and then you have, and those are hearers, but they only have a surface connection. Then you have hearers who have a living connection with Christ. Because of some doctrine that I've been thinking about lately, this reminds me of the view that some hold wherein there are some people who believe but aren't disciples. And then there are others who believe and are disciples. This dichotomy is wrong doctrine, but it is held by some because it offers a very uh, facile or helpful explanation of the mass of people who do not actually follow the Lord while they claim to believe in Him. There are lots of people, I've heard, I've been in church, I heard the gospel, yeah, I'm there, but they don't actually follow the Lord. So they're believers but not followers. That's not a category that the Bible knows anything about. Jesus warns that such people will end up in total ruin. If that's where they stay, if that's all, then they're not saved people. They're people who have heard but not done. They're foolish people, according to verse 26 and 27. So the Lord calls us to hear and to do. Hearing and not doing the things of Christ puts you in an entirely different category than those who hear and do. If you think you're fine because you hear the things of Christ, then you're merely only hearing them. You're truly, truly, totally deceived. You're no more fine than the demons who also have heard the things of Christ, haven't they, and tremble. But they do nothing about those things. Even believing the facts of what you hear is all fine and well, but it counts for nothing if it's only that. True belief is a commitment not only of the intellect, but of the will and of the emotions to the Lord Jesus Christ. A commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a turning over, belief, believing in Him. He's, he's, my, he's the Lord who's going to save me, turning myself over to Him. Mere intellectual belief in what you've heard is nothing. Get it out of your head that such a thing is Christian belief, for it is not. It's foolish to only hear and not have any, any transformation. Notice, too, that the same kind of judgment is poured out on the house that is on the foundation of stone versus the one that's on the foundation of sand. Did you see that? The, the winds, the rain, the floods... Both, both houses are kind of attacked that way. In other words, God judges everyone the same. That judgment is is not partial. There's no partiality toward man. Either you have a solidly built house of faith in Christ or you have a flimsy house of human works and beliefs. The same standard is applied to all houses. The same judgment is going to be given, but only those in the first category will be saved from destruction because of their construction. Okay? because of the foundation upon which their houses are built. Jesus says everyone, everyone who hears and does not do is foolish 
and will suffer a great fall. But everyone who hears and obeys is wise and will live. So you have a choice, hear and do, or just hear, or even refuse to hear. And so the obvious thing is, which will it be? Which will it be? What are you going to choose? Think of James chapter 1. The guy who looks into a mirror and does nothing is a foolish man. But the one who looks into the Word of God like a mirror and looks and does something about what he sees, that man is a wise person and he will be blessed in what he does. Revelation chapter 1, 3 said, Blessed are those who read and hear and keep the words of this prophecy. Keep the words of this prophecy. Not just read them, not just hear them, but keep them. And then a verse that I don't have as well uh, memorized, Revelation 22, verse number 7. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Who keeps. In other words, saving faith is obedient faith. Saving faith issues forth in obedience. And if if you have a problem with that, I think you're misunderstanding the genius, I'll call it, the core of the gospel. Okay? The gospel is a transformation. It's a it's a change of your total life situation and your hope. It's from hoping in the things of the Lord to hoping in the world rather to hoping in the things of the Lord. Okay? The total change. Um, Luke eleven twenty eight. We can turn there for just a second. Luke eleven and twenty eight. Uh, actually, start in verse number twenty seven. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, "Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you." You know, you're such an amazing person. Your mother must be uh, pronounced to be blessed. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So you see, in fact, in Titus, we're seeing the same kind of thing. Uh, Jesus came to redeem us, a special people for himself, zealous for good works, zealous to keep his word, not just to talk about it. And so there are a handful of verses there for you to back up what we're saying here is just basic Christian, basic Christianity, basic salvation, basic discipleship, which is saying one and the same thing. Now, Jesus taught things here, the text tells us at the end, directly. He did not mince words. He did not use evasive language. Or Do you know what it means when you use equivocal language? You know, talking out of both sides of your mouth or words that are so ambiguous you don't know what they mean exactly. That's what politicians do sometimes, lawyers sometimes, maybe, maybe politicians all the time. I don't know, not all the time. No, there's some that are good, uh, honest people. But um, the text is clear that Jesus was speaking in a very precise way, not in generalities, not uncertainties. He spoke clearly and specifically. He cut to the heart of the matter. I mean, who could listen to the sermon and say, well, I can get away with that sin. It's no problem. 
No, if it's in your heart, here's, this is the thing. People today want to talk about all these you know, bad desires, a desire for bad lifestyle. Well, that's fine as long as you don't act on it. <laughs> Did you read the Sermon on the Mount? Bad desires are sins. Not just if you act on them are they sins. The Lord Jesus said if you are angry with a brother, hate your brother, then it's like akin to murder, lust, the same thing, and so on. Okay? So he's very clear, cuts to the heart of the matter, doesn't beat around the bush, doesn't stop short of what's truly needed. Consequently, the people were utterly amazed. You know, they're like, who is this guy? You know, he demanded the people follow his words, not the words of the Pharisees. They said, but I say, is how he worded it. The audience wasn't left in the dark. They, weren't una- they were unable to spin his words in a way that were self-favoring or do nothing. They could not just say, eh, they're going to have to face the choice. Either you hear and do and you're wise or else you're foolish. There's no other way around it. They're forced to deal with this. It was clear, unlike the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes before the Lord came onto the scene. Their, their sort of teaching was... I mean, it was very hypocritical. Their lives did not match their words. They laid heavy burdens on others but didn't bear them themselves. Or they would teach like so-and-so says or such-and-such a book says or whatever, and we have the same thing today, don't we? Uh, Or they might say, has God said? Do you hear the echoes from the Garden of Eden in those words? The vile, evil echoes of Satan in the serpent? saying to Eve, has God really said you'll die? No, you won't die. When is humanity going to learn that, that Satan was wrong back then and he hasn't gotten any more right? When, we, when people say, you know, no, it doesn't really mean that. The Bible doesn't mean that that lifestyle is bad or those sins are bad. It doesn't mean that. It, it couldn't mean that. Or we're more advanced than that. That's just this. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, no, that's not how it is. You listen to what I'm saying, not what all your little teachers are saying. Now, there are people out there in the world who are inoculated against this teaching, this authoritative teaching, because the world has been giving them the vaccine for false teaching for true teaching, rather, by false teaching for years and years and years. In other words, they've been so pre-programmed in schools, public schools, so pre-programmed by the media that when they hear the truth, they just dismiss it as if it's evil. So they've been inoculated, okay? You know, there are a lot of people today that don't want the vaccine. Well, how about this? Are you okay with being inoculated with falsehood that the world's trying to throw at you so that you won't receive the truth? So there are people who have been well vaccinated against the real truth, but they can, expre- they can experience a breakthrough case of salvation. <laughs> God can break through. They need the direct soul-saving teaching of God's Word. They're not getting it in the world with all of its mishmash. By the way, uh, this is not exactly the same thing, but similar. You know, fluff teaching, I'll call it. Fluff teaching kills. 
fluff teaching kills. This is not fluff teaching. This is obey or die. Fluff teaching is, eh, do what you want. That's the satanic Bible, by the way. Do whatever you want. It's okay. God loves you. Everything will be fine. Without God's holiness mixed in there, the message God loves you is false. Okay? You might say, oh, well, you just said that's false. Yeah. Without a little bit of truth stretched like this becomes distorted out of reality. Fluff teaching kills, my friends, because it lets people live in their own little world, in their own foggy little brain, you know, bouncing around in life from their this and that and whatever else and their pleasures and entertainment and all that sort of stuff. And soon it will be too late. Direct teaching can wake up the soul and could well save it. This we know for sure. If someone does not respond to Christ, they will definitely not be saved. And if they are not presented clearly with the truth, then how can they respond? Here is clear teaching on the truth. Believe Christ, believe His Word, obey it, and you'll be transformed. Christian faith is life-transforming, soul-saving, life-preserving. It's the only safe option when it comes to those 80-foot swells that you're about to face. You've got to be in the right boat to, 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 to weather that storm. If you're not in the right boat, you know, if you're in some little dinghy with two little oars like this, you're not going to make it. You're going to be swamped. So you have to be settled on the rock of your salvation, Jesus Christ, or else you will be crushed by the fall of your house onto your own head. There are only two ways, the Lord says in the end of his sermon. There's a narrow gate or a broad gate. There's a difficult way or an easy way. There's good fruit or there's bad fruit. There's a true relationship or a pretend one. There's a solid foundation or a sandy foundation. There's obedience to God's word or there's disobedience. That's it. There's no middle ground. You have to make a choice. You must make a choice. Choose life. Choose today. The Bible says, choose today whom you will serve, yourself or the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our message tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, two ways you've told us. Lord, I pray that you will work in our souls. I'm fully convinced, Lord, these words, because this is what the text of Scripture lays out. Every passage of Scripture says there is two ways to live. There's the way of the flesh and the way of the Spirit, the way of life and the way of death, the broad way and the narrow way. Lord, I pray that our people and those listening online and those to whom we speak, our children and our parents and our neighbors, we brought to understand this choice one way or the other, and eternal destiny depends on it. Help us to be diligent, to make our calling and election sure, to be found in the way of peace. Thank you for these dear folks here tonight, and I think we numbered around 20 people here praying. Lord, I'm reminded to pray. I forgot earlier for a dear friend of ours named Al who had a very difficult night, uh, lacking rest because of some health issues he has from the military service that he had. 
We ask, Lord, that you will give him rest and his, in his rest to sleep tonight and be restored in the morning. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good night, everyone. And uh, those that are online, we thank you for participating with us tonight. We will bid you good night and God bless all of you. Amen.